0: you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 9 this morning. John chapter 9. And uh, I spoke to uh, Pastor Jared this morning. He's doing very well. Uh, I think he's he's down on a retreat with uh, Sojourn. Uh, I think it is awesome that you all allow pastors to get away and do that. Uh, Sometimes we get to thinking that life and ministry is a sprint. In reality, it's more of a marathon. And so I think what you're doing is not only good for Jared, it's going to in turn be good for you all. So I'm very encouraged. you allow your pastors to get some much-needed rest. And uh, Jared told me a ransom got to swim in the ocean. I believe it was his first time swimming in the ocean. And uh, you all allowed him to do that. So uh, uh, he's doing very well. And then on, on a personal note, I'm just glad to be here. I'm glad to open up the Word of God. And uh, my mouth's been watering all week in, in John chapter 9. There's just so much in there. Uh, it's like a treasure chest full of stuff, but we're going to try to go over that. Jared asked me to preach John chapter 9 today, so I'm going to try to honor him and do that. So um, if you would, please rise out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. And I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to read the first three cha- three verses, the first three chapters. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it's been a while since I preached, so we're going to go three chapters. All right. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Let's pray again. Uh, Holy Spirit, we just pray you would come and minister to our hearts today. Help us to believe. Help our unbelief. Increase our faith, increase our knowledge, Father, for knowledge of the Holy One is insight. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You all may be seated again. It was the fall of 2002. I was in a humanities class down at Murray, and we were going through um, Plato's Allegory of the Cave. How many of you all have read, by any chance, Plato's Allegory of the Cave? There, Yep, good stuff. Three people in here, four of us. If you get a chance, uh, you could probably find some kind of a Cliff Notes version on Google or something like that. But, and I don't remember a lot of it, but I remember the gist of it was, you've got this group of people down in the lower recess of a cave, and they've been chained to this wall. And they have been staring at these shadows dancing around on the wall basically since they were born. Okay, So that's all they've ever known, all they've ever realized. What they don't understand what they do not realize is that there's another group of people up above in another level of the cave, and there's a campfire, and they're doing a puppet show. And so the reality is not the shadows. The reality is there's a group of people producing the shadows in the firelight, and they don't even realize there's a whole new world outside of the cave altogether. Uh, During this season, um, God began to work in my life through that. I had another friend of mine that passed away, uh, with leukemia, he's 20 years old. He's laying in a casket. That gets your attention. So all during this season, and of course, the Matrix movie had come out not too long ago, and you've kind of got this whole idea of the red pill and the and the blue pill. If you take this red pill, uh, you're gonna see everything, see reality for the way it truly is. Kind of the same flavor of Plato's allegory of the cave. But what if I told you that? Uh, You were born under a spell, so to speak. What if I told you that this world and the way and all that you've ever known may not be everything that there is for you? What if I told you that there was more? What if I told you that maybe some of the things you've been believing all your life were wrong? What if I told you that some of the things you've been believing all your life were lies? Would you want to know that? During that semester, uh, I began to debate some friends in in the fraternity house, of all places, uh, about doctrine and theology and things like that. And I began to debate with them, and I was so prideful, I wanted to win the argument. So I began to read their books. And then I began to read Romans, in particular. And I realized that I was wrong. And I realized that everything I'd believed my entire life was wrong. I remember coming home on Thanksgiving break... And my room was up in the attic of the house, and I'd be up till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning reading and studying and trying to figure this stuff out. And it was a painful process. My parents thought I was going crazy. It felt like I was losing my mind. And in reality, in a sense, I was. Uh, An old mind was leaving, and a new mind was coming about. And what I began to realize for the first time in my life was that I was at God's mercy and that God did not need me. He could make the rocks cry out. But he wanted me. And what I began to realize is that I was at God's mercy. And when I began to understand and grasp God's mercy, it was then that I was able to appreciate more fully God's grace. And God did a work in my life. But the sight that he gave me during that season was painful. It was not a walk in the daisies. It was a painful Something you've been believing all your life is not really certain. It's shaky ground. It's sand. And then, oh, here's the rock. Here's where you want to build your house. So when he goes from taking you to sand and when he disintegrates paradigms and disintegrates thought processes and disintegrates an old mind and replaces it with a new mind, that's painful. It's not comfortable, but it's good. Paul, actually let's go with Saul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, memorized most of the Old Testament. knew He was the, in the, the, the highest educated Pharisee in the land. Knew his stuff. Knew the scriptures back and forth. And then on the Damascus Road, what happened? He was blinded. The scales came off. He could not eat for days. It messed him up. But just imagine having all this knowledge, almost like fuel for a fire, almost like a a dynamite, and then God lit the fuse. And like, oh, this is what it all meant. This is what it was all pointing toward. It was earth-shattering. Jesus is the reality. All the rest of these are just shadows, but he's a substance. He's the reality of all this. He could not eat for days. Job. Painful, but in the end, my eyes have seen the Lord. Now I see. I just heard with my ear, but now my eyes have seen the Lord. It was painful. And here in our text today, we have a man born in physical and in utter spiritual blindness. Born in utter sin, the scriptures say here in our passage today. So what is Jesus doing? He's doing the same thing he's been doing throughout his ministry. He is healing and exercising one powerful miracle after another, one after another, one physical healing after another. Why? It's not just to demonstrate his power. It's also to illustrate something spiritual to us. He is illustrating. He's using physical healings to illustrate for us deep spiritual realities. Did the same thing at the pool of Bethesda. Lame beggar. Pharisees hated it. Pharisees hate what's going on now. Jesus heals blind people, deaf people, mute people, hemorrhaging women, paralytics. He raises Lazarus from the dead by His word. Why? All those are to demonstrate His power. Absolutely. But they also illustrate something deeply spiritual. The point of our passage today is simply this, and profoundly this, just as this man is utterly blind physically, so are we born into utter blindness spiritually. As blind as this man was physically, we are blind in such a way spiritually. The Old Testament, it's not new, and the scriptures throughout the Old Testament The Old Testament prophets described the heart of Israel and the nations like a desert without streams, a desert without water, dry and dead vineyards, a barren womb, a heart of stone. And that's what Jesus lays out to the man, and that's what Jesus lays out to the Pharisees, who have all of this knowledge, but yet remain blinded spiritually. And now you have a blind, these paradoxes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom. The kingdom of God is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. These um, paradoxes. So here you have a poor in spirit beggar, now wealthy, beyond Measure The rich had become poor. Nicodemus, you must be born again. You're this great scholar, but you remain poor spiritually. So can you imagine, though, the physical, just the sensory overload that took place for this man? Can you imagine being blind your entire life Then you see light. Can you imagine your eyes watering in the sunlight? All the colors, the explosion going on inside your head and inside your heart. There was a YouTube video that came out not too long ago of a a man who was born colorblind. Anybody see that video by any chance? They had this new technology, these new lenses, glasses that he could put on. And it was his birthday so his wife saved and saved and got these glasses for her husband to try. He unwraps them. He's out on his front porch, and he puts on those glasses. And this older man became like a little child, fumbling around, tears, just video footage of all this going on. Can you imagine what that would be like? These spiritual things the scriptures teach us are being hidden from the wise of this age, and they are given by God alone. And that's the point of this passage today is that the lens through which we must read this historical account is that all of these things are given by God to demonstrate His power. So we've got three points with that kind of thesis in mind and you could really you could do three sermons on these but we're going to go with three points affliction is purposeful that's the first point affliction is purposeful the second one is faith is not blind faith is not has knowledge in it and three faith is a gift so affliction is purposeful faith is not blind it's not a blind leap and faith is a gift so the first one is affliction is purposeful. We get asked a really good question in our text today, right at the very beginning. Who sinned? Got a man born blind. He's afflicted. He's. Uh, uh, is Who sinned? Was it he that sinned? Was it his parents that sinned? Could you say it was his great-grandparents, his ancestors sinned? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus' answer in our text is very simple. He says, neither. Neither. Job, did he sin? Is that what brought about his suffering? Of course not. Job was a righteous man. But his sin had purpose. They were not because of his sin. Jesus, did he suffer because of his sin? Jesus was without sin. Job's suffering was not because of sin. Jesus' suffering was not because of sin. John chapter 9, verse 3. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, this man was afflicted in order that God might display his power and his glory in the worship that would come in the healing of this man. From not just him, but from you and I today. This man has been forever etched in history as a trophy of God's grace and God's mercy and God's power. Blindness was not this man's purpose. Blindness was not the meaning of this man's life. Suffering was not the purpose of this man's life. Suffering was not the end. The affliction was designed for a purpose with a greater end in mind. Now, there are times in Scripture where God does deal affliction to a disobedient son or daughter. I think about Miriam, Moses' sister. She was given leprosy when she protested Moses' marriage and rebelled against his leadership. And I think of just a modern-day illustration. If I have my children, I say, hey, don't touch that red-hot burner. If you touch that red-hot burner, it's going to burn you. It's going to hurt you. If they disobey me and they touch the red hot burner, their disobedience has consequences. And sin does have consequences. However, no matter what the case, no matter what brought it about for the believer, for God's child, every nanosecond of it is working mysteriously for your good. It's all purposeful. It is all meaningful. Not one second of it is being wasted. That burned hand is not the end. That burned hand is part of the process. That burned hand allows you to say, I am not going to touch that thing again. I'm not going there again. And in the midst of all that pain, there is something that is brought to memory. Daddy said not to touch that. Daddy knew what was best for me all along. Daddy does love me. Daddy does know what's best for me. I need to listen to my daddy. And and it's taught poetically down in the recesses of the soul, in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of that uncertainty, in the midst of that fog. God teaches us great and unsearchable things that we do not yet know. You can't write a mathematical formula about it. You might be able to write a poem about it. That God writes those things on your heart in the midst of the pain and in the midst of the affliction. Romans 8.28 is true. For those who love God, all things, the Greek word for all is panta. Guess what it means? It means all. All things work to the good of those who are called according to His purpose. For from Him and through Him and to Him Are all things, including your pain, including your suffering, including your affliction. So affliction is purposeful, and in the end, it will lead to the displaying of God's glory and your joy. Secondly, faith is not blind. Faith is not blind. John chapter 9, 35 to 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. What's going on? He's been, this man's been healed. Jesus sent him away, so he's yet to see him, right? He goes to the pool. Washes off the crust, and then he sees for the first time. But he has yet to find Jesus. So this is an an inquiry, an investigative inquiry that this man is making. He is looking for knowledge of who it was, this Holy One, that healed him. Who is this Son of Man? Peter, he walks on the water, right? Does he just take a blind leap off the edge of the boat? I hope... There, in, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Just, I'm just going to flop, do whatever. No. Peter knows who he's walking to, does he not? He understands who he's walking to. Now, fast forward to post resurrection Jesus. He's on the beach. Disciples are out fishing. The disciples, there is a judgment and there is a recognition that this is Jesus on the shore. They recognize him cognitively, goes down into their hearts. What does Peter's response? He throws himself into the sea fully clothed and swims in to get to him as quickly as possible because he understands that that is Jesus. He knows him. There is knowledge involved with this faith. There is evaluation involved in this faith. And Jesus says, the sheep will know my voice. Faith is knowing the Lord. This is eternal life, that you may know me and the one who sent me. That you may know me and the one who sent me. Bible says faith without works is dead. Faith without knowledge is also dead. Anyone can say they have faith. Bon Jovi says, hey, we're going we're to draw a crowd. We're going to sing a song called Keeping the Faith. Right? And it's going to sell millions of records. And it did. Great song. Who's he got faith in? Faith in what? Faith in who? What God are you you putting your faith in? Faith is knowledgeable. Faith has knowledge in it. Third point, faith is a gift. Faith is a gift. Verse 37, Jesus says to the ex-blind man who now has has sight, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. You just think, Let me ask you a question. And Charles Spurgeon once said what got him understanding this guy. He said, All right, yeah, I believe. But how came I to believe in his language? Back in that old English or whatever. How came you to believe this morning? How came I to believe in that fraternity house? How did I come to believe? Here's how Ephesians 2 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So if you're arcing that, you trace it back to faith as the subject. Faith is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand... That we should walk in them. It's very clear. The faith. God not only died for you in Jesus Christ. Jesus not only died for you and took the wrath of God upon himself on the cross. As your substitution. As your sacrifice. He gave you the power to believe it. He gave you the faith to lay hold of it. So where is your boast, o mighty man? There is no boast except in Christ Jesus my Lord. It is a gift, but as we've been saying, it is also a painful gift, but it's a good kind of pain. Uh, How many of you all have read or seen the movie Voyage of the Dawn Treader, C.S. Lewis? Excellent. Um, I'm going to read an excerpt um, out of the book. The movie is also really, really good. What you've got is this spoiled, rotten little kid named Eustace. He's just spoiled to death, okay? And in this movie, he gets, uh, he's following his heart. He's trying to do what's right in his own eyes. And, and he's cursed by becoming this beastly dragon. Scales all over him, just a beastly dragon throwing fire out, doesn't even know what's happening. And he's angry. He's scared. And this is an excerpt about his conversion so to speak, his healing, so to speak. Listen to this. I looked up and saw the very last thing I expected, a huge lion coming slowly toward me. And that's the Aslan figure, the Christ figure in this story. It came nearer and nearer. I was terribly afraid of it. You may think that, being a dragon, I could have knocked any lion out easily enough But it wasn't that kind of fear. I wasn't afraid of it eating me. I was just afraid of it. Two different kinds of fear there, guys. I wasn't afraid of it eating me. I was just afraid of it, if you can understand. Well, it came closer to me and looked straight into my eyes. And I shut my eyes tight. But that wasn't any good because it told me to follow it can't just close your eyes on Christ. That's, that's not enough. He asked you to pick up your cross and follow him. Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke. You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked a scab off a sore place, it hurts, he says, it hurts like a billy. I don't know what that means. I guess it hurts bad. Oh, but it is, it is such fun to see it coming away. I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there was no lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had ever been. Then he caught hold of me, I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on, and threw me into the water. It hurt like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found, all, found that all the pain had gone from my arm, and then I saw why I had turned into a boy again. And in the movie version, he compares the pain to pulling a thorn out of your foot. It's a good kind of pain. That kind of pain, the Bible tells us, is a gift. So let's tie all three together in closing. God uses affliction like those lenses that help the colorblind man see colors he had never seen before. God gives faith through suffering and affliction and pain. Think of the depths of the riches of the man born colorblind and this man born blind. Think of their appreciation. Think of the level of their gratitude and the depth of their joy. Think of all the new, fresh fruits of the Spirit and life coming out of this man's soul. Pain is purposeful. Faith comes with knowledge of the Holy One. Faith is a gift. So maybe in closing, as the musicians, if you would like to begin to come forward, maybe there's someone this morning saying, I don't want to carry these scales anymore. Maybe there's someone, you know how they hunt monkeys, at least I read this somewhere, or heard some preacher say it once, They hunt monkeys in Africa, I believe it is. They get one of these big old concrete jars, and on the top of it they've got a little narrow neck, and they put nuts or fruit or whatever in the bottom of that jar. And so the monkeys will come and stick their hand down in that concrete jar, grab a handful of whatever it is their heart's wanting, try to pull their fist out, and their fist is too big to get out of the opening, and they come and club them to death. What is it in your life that you're white-knuckled, holding on to? Maybe it's your life itself. Have you lost your life for Christ? Have you, like Eustace, just laid down and surrendered? Okay, undress me. Maybe you just need to come to Christ and see. And then another question is, if that's you, what on earth is possibly holding you back? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for you. You are the fountain of healing and joy. Father, I pray that you would humble all of us and take our eyes off of ourselves and our feeble little grips on our lives. I pray that you would help us to lose sight of ourselves and gain a deeper sight and insight of you. For knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Meaning, Father, there is no wisdom and there is no insight apart from you. I just pray that you would come and minister to us and increase our faith for your glory and for your great name's sake. Amen.